Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to Matthew. We are in chapter 24 and reading verses 36 through 44. This is um, towards the end of a dissertation that Jesus is giving to his closest disciples, uh, sharing with them signs of the end of the age. And here again, uh, God's holy and inspired word. Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. I am sure that many, if not all of you, have had the experience of flying on a commercial airliner. If so, you know that before the airplane leaves the ground, there are a couple of things that you need to know. You need to know about your seatbelt and the seatbelt sign. You need to know there is no smoking anywhere on the aircraft. You need to know where the exits are located. And in the event of an extreme emergency, you need to know about the oxygen mask that will drop down from the ceiling and that your seat cushion will double as a flotation device should the plane happen to crash into the water. Now, I have noticed that most travelers pay very little attention to the flight attendant as he or she points out these important details. Perhaps it is because we have all heard it before and we could probably do the little spiel ourselves. Or perhaps it's because we all have so much faith in the pilot and the aircraft that we simply do not believe any of that speech is going to come to pass. Now when it comes to taking a cruise, however, their little safety talk that they give is much more involved. On a cruise ship, They do not let you leaf through a magazine while they go over their emergency presentation. Prior to the ship leaving port, there is an assigned time when the captain commands all passengers to grab their life jackets and move quickly to your proper station. This whole experience is accompanied by several sharp blasts of the ship's horn that sounds the alarm, No one is allowed to ignore this drill. 
Crew members are scattered throughout the ship, urging people to move carefully yet quickly, and they go from cabin to cabin to ensure that everyone is participating. And when you reach your muster station, the crew then covers several scenarios that you need to know about if an emergency arises. For example, they teach you what to do if you witness someone falling overboard. Now, I don't know how often that happens. I know it happened a week or so ago. It ended well, but not usually. But I'm fairly certain that if someone goes overboard, throwing a life preserver to them, as you are instructed to do, is mostly ceremonial. Kind of marks the spot. But after hearing that part, you are definitely listening when they stress the importance of never sitting on the railing and always watching your step when you are on deck because it can be slippery. And then they cover the scenario of abandoning ship. And they assure you that unlike the Titanic, this particular ship does have enough light lifeboats for everyone. However, you also have a life jacket. And it's required that you wear it during this drill. They do not just tell you how to put it on. They want you to practice putting it on and checking for a proper fit. They want to make sure that you see that little whistle attached to the vest, as well as the little beacon that emits a radio signal to rescuers in the unlikely event that you fall off the lifeboat and into the water. And after all those emergency procedures are covered, they then provide you with even more advice. And they stress that everyone is about to have a fabulous time in the days ahead, but that there is one thing that can really spoil your cruising vacation. And they say, whenever we are in port and you disembark to enjoy that port of call, don't ever, ever, ever be late getting back to the ship at the end of the day, because like it or not, the ship waits for no one. Now, today marks the beginning of a new year for us. The liturgical year begins with the first Sunday in Advent, so Happy New Year. It is on this Sunday every year that we are reminded that Jesus will come again. His second Advent, however, will not be like the first. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, there was no worldwide fanfare, no dramatic entrance. He slipped in among us by entering the world the way all of us do. He was born, born in a manger in a little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. And the only ones alerted to his arrival were some shepherds who were watching their flocks that night. And later, when Jesus was about to begin his ministry, the only one calling attention to his arrival was a strange-looking prophet out in the wilderness who was baptizing folks in preparation for Messiah's appearing. But when Jesus comes again, there will be no mistaking his arrival. The scriptures speak of a dramatic Return on clouds of glory, and that every person on the face of the earth will know of his arrival as his angels gather the elect from every corner of the earth. There will be signs leading up to this moment, but when it finally occurs, it will come as a great surprise to all 
but particularly to those who have not been paying attention to the warnings. Some years after Jesus uttered these words of warning that we find in Matthew's Gospel, the Apostle Paul passed along uh, the alert to the saints in Rome. And he said, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And Paul then offers a litany of sinful behaviors that were once characteristic of the Roman believers. And as tempting as it would be to dwell upon those, Paul takes a different tact when after calling attention to them, he encourages the believers in Rome to behave according to the dictates of the Spirit of God who dwells within them. Instead of falling back into the old life of darkness, they are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Christians of the 21st century, we must ask ourselves, what import, if any, do these passages of Scripture have upon us, given the fact that Jesus' arrival has been delayed for 20 centuries? As a pastor, my fear is that many people approach the notion of Jesus' second coming much the way they do the flight attendant who is faithfully offering words of instruction and warning. Most people on board are not even listening. They're lost in their own little world with all the trappings associated with it. Some have their headphones on listening to a tune that suits them. Others are preoccupied with their business dealings as they prepare a presentation on their laptops. Others are eyeing the material things that they would like to acquire as they look at the magazine that carries all that high-end merchandise. A few are using their cell phones for a last-minute conversation with a loved one. But we need to note that Jesus' words of warning here are directed to his disciples. Jesus is not issuing this apocalyptic alert to the religious elite, to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is telling his disciples that they must be ready because they do not know the hour. Now, why does Jesus urge his disciples to be ready for their Savior's return? Part of it has to do, I think, with the fact that like unbelievers, we too can fall into the temptation of dismissing the airline attendant's words of warning because... We don't think they pertain to us. We say to ourselves, I don't need to listen to these warnings because I have already made peace with God through Christ. I do not have anything to worry about. My salvation is secure and when he comes again, I will be fine. Now far be it from me to do anything to cause you to doubt your eternal security. I would never do that. I will, however, allow the writer of Hebrews to do so. Because he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, Christ's coming, his resurrection, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
You see, to hang one's eternal security on a moment in time when we may have responded positively to a minister's invitation, but then went on to a life of spiritual neglect, is to take a gamble far more severe than jumping off a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You see, there are those who have said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. But they had no idea about the cost of discipleship. And they got busy with family and business and amusements. And they failed to hear the rest of Jesus' words. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we did not read the beginning of this 24th chapter in Matthew a moment ago, but if we had, we would see that before Christ returns, there's a period of severe tribulation that comes upon the entire world, a world which includes the church. So here's the question. Should you find yourself under severe tribulation, will your faith stand the test? The reason Jesus urges his disciples to be ready for the day is not simply for the moment of his appearing. It is for the time that precedes his appearing. And if we have been spiritually lazy, if we have failed to devote ourselves to the regular means of grace, to the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship of the saints, and the breaking of bread, and the spiritual discipline of prayer, then we may be disappointed in our ability to withstand the societal pressures that will mount against us because the days have become like those of the days of Noah. And we may be like the fellow who was asked how many push-ups he believed he could perform, and he said 30, even though he had not done one since the sixth grade. And he was surprised to discover he couldn't do even five. We who follow Christ need to be wide awake and alert, not only for our sakes, but also for the sake of those around us. As the church, we need to be willing to grab the attention of those around us. And like crews, uh, or crew members on a cruise ship, we need to be offering encouragement to those who are traveling through life with us that preparations need to be made for if they do not. Destruction awaits. They need to be counseled against behaviors that are self-destructive, not in the spirit of self-righteousness, but in a spirit of love that genuinely cares for the eternal salvation of those whom God is calling. We need to be prepared to tell them about Christ, the only one in whom salvation may be found. But here is another critical point. There is a reason God does not give us the day or the hour of Christ's return for. If he did, it would increase the disorder of the world in which we live. Imagine what the world would do if God announced that Jesus would not return to judge the world for another 250 years. Would humanity use that time wisely? Would NATO nations agree to stop all war, to work cooperatively so that all people everywhere had plenty to eat and everyone had a home and medical care was available to all? Would such forewarning cause the world to enter a golden age of constructing magnificent structures, producing great works of art, creating technological wonders 
that would ease human suffering? And would they work together to wipe out diseases? And would the world stop chasing after idols and agree that Christ was the way, the truth, and the life? Would such forewarning cause individuals to immediately repent and resolve to follow Jesus? Or would the world think, there's still 250 years worth of time. What causes people to repent is when they learn that time is short, that it could be today that they meet the King of all kings. Before his novels catapulted John Grisham to the status of commercial supernova, as Newsweek once called him, he was an unknown small-town lawyer. And he recalls advice that he once received from a college friend while Grisham was still in law school at Mississippi State. And this young friend of his called him one day and wanted to know if he would do lunch, and he agreed, and During their meal, this friend informed him that he had been diagnosed with cancer and did not have long to live. He was 25 years old, and Grisham could not believe it. He said, what do you do when you realize you're about to die? He said, well, it's actually pretty simple. You get things right with God. You spend as much time with those you love as you can. And then you settle up with everybody else. But then he said, you know, really, you ought to live every day like you have only a few more days to live. Grisham says, I have never forgotten those words. How would we live differently? If we lived with the notion that today could be the day of Christ's return or the day appointed unto us to die. How would you treat your family? What would become of your interactions with strangers? Would you let go of the long-held anger that you have and make peace with some folks? What changes would you make in your stewardship of time and talent and resource? How would your attitude change towards sin in your life? Would the means of grace take on a greater priority for you? In other words, what would you give up and what would you begin to do? When time is of the essence, we tend to adjust. We separate the trivial from the substantive. We ignore that which is trite. We hold on to that which is meaningful. When we believe that there are only a few hours left, only a few moments before something significant is going to occur, things tend to come into very sharp focus and we see what we need to do. The tragic thing is when we finally see it and realize there is no time left. Now, of course, there are some who do not ever want to face the issue. Not everyone wants to face the fact that the world as we know it will end, or to put it another way, that their world is going to end. But all you must do is visit a cemetery anywhere in the world, and you have your answer. Of the billions and billions of people that have lived and died, every one of them occupies either a plot of ground or has been scattered to the wind. 
because there is only one who has conquered death. There's only one who has been able to throw off the grip of the grave and return. And this Lord of life is coming again. And when he returns, it will be a sudden surprise as those who bear his name are snatched from whatever they are doing to join him in his triumphal entry. Paul says to the Thessalonians, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that day, Paul says, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day is almost here. Beloved, his second coming will be a surprise. And when he comes, there will be no more time to prepare, to be ready then. One must not delay now, but repent, for today is the day of salvation. Let me invite you to bow your heads with me for a moment, that we might pray together.